Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome in. Dennis Fithian with you here. We're ready to get things underway. Podcast number two. And like they say in sports, teams make their biggest improvement from game one to game two. Hopefully that's going to be the case here on this particular podcast. We'll talk with Dan Leach coming up just in moments here as we'll get to the NFL draft and also uh, Michael Jordan, whose documentary, docu-series, The Last Dance, is going to drop on uh, Sunday night. So uh, all of that straight ahead. And without further ado, let's get to him. If you go to YouTube and punch in The Task Force Dan Leach, you can see uh, Dan's uh, latest venture there uh, on YouTube. And he works for 97.1. And he's a ray of sunshine even during a pandemic. Dan, I know how you're doing because I've seen all your social media over the last couple of days of you posting pictures of prime rib, man. So uh, I know you're doing good. Yeah, I am, but uh, I'm not ever as good as I am when I'm either talking with you or working with you or doing a podcast with you or having you on the task force. So I'm doing much better right now, but it's uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor, my friend. Yeah, well, it's NFL Draft Week, and we have been waiting for months for this week, and here it is. And and Dan, we, if if I could put it in a Reader's Digest in the hours of conversation that we have had about the draft, uh, the the conversation about moving down in a bidding war and a treasure trove of picks for Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia and the Lions has always been there and has been talked about. And here we go in draft week. That continues to be the biggest story here about the Lions moving out and picking up as many picks and as high as picks as they can. Yeah, I, I listen, you and I have talked about this many different times on uh, various shows that we've done and and you kept me uh, in, in, in the real world at times where I said, listen, I, I think the Lions have got to hope they can create a bidding war for Tua. I know you're a so-called Tua truther. I thought that our good friend uh, Sean Belizean recently in the Tua truther as well. But it, it just seems like that bidding war is at least for what we can see. We need to this first ever virtual draft coming up on Thursday. Not there per se. The injury concerns, the possible wrist injury, and obviously we know the surgeries that Tua has had, but I still think it's possible because this is a guy in Tua Tagovailoa that could end up being a transcendent quarterback. And if you're a team like the Finns, the Dolphins or the Chargers or the Raiders or whomever, and like let's go back a few years, Seth, and, and talk about Andy Reid and the Chiefs, they knew Mahomes was their guy. They were going to trade up and do whatever they had to do to get the future NFL MVP. If there is a team out there that feels that way about Tua through the digital workouts or the, the game tape or the interviews they've done. You gotta, if you're the Lions about Quinn in this, you must do well year or you're fired, you've got to find that value. And is that, I know that I said to you on uh, different uh, occasions, can the Lions get five and 18 from the Dolphins? And you, you know, kept me honest and probably not. Could they get 12 and 19 for the Raiders? It's possible. But I look at it like this. If you're the Lions at three, you're looking at guys like Jeffrey Okuda, Isaiah Simmons, and maybe a couple others, you've got to find a way to move down and be able to still get one of the guys you want, but extra picks in general. And that's what I hope happens. I, it feels to me, Fifth, I don't know where you're at right now, and it's obviously a fluid situation. It feels to me the Lions are going to stay at three, take Jeffrey Okuda, and I'm not going to be mad at that, but if they can find a way to move down, 
to five or six or whatever, still get Okuda or still get Simmons and an extra first rounder and a second rounder or whatever else, that's the key right now for a team that needs as much help as they can get. Yeah, where I'm at right now is uh, upstairs in a spare room on this podcast. Ah. But I know what you mean. You know, I think that uh, if the Lions are able to get, uh, let's say, 5-39, and 39, that's the second-round pick that the, the Dolphins have. Uh, to me, that sounds like the uh, a, a fair deal. If they do better than that, of course, that would be thumbs up. But if they right. just stay at 3 and pick Okuda, I'll be disappointed. Like, you know, with the ability to slide down just a couple picks and pick up a an early second round choice, man, it just I know it's an excitement level for me and, and others because then you're talking about hey, you don't have to just go defensive tackle there in the second round. You can start talking about running backs. You can start talking about wide receivers, the the kind of players that are going to excite the media and fans at least. To, uh, and and the one part about it is that we focus so much on Thursday in the first round and with the Lions having that third pick in the second round, and if they were to pick up that early second round from the Dolphins, suddenly it's like they have three first-round picks because those early second-round picks are like first-round picks, and we know players are right. going to slide. So it, it gives you it gives you that extra seemingly first-rounder, which uh, which makes it that much more exciting. So I, I think at the very least they, they need to – to move back there, it, it's you know it's a good deal for both sides. Five and thirty-nine, you know, let, let, let's go if that's where the Dolphins are really at. That seems fair for everybody. Yeah, and I know. Listen, we we all know that GMs, uh, you know, say a lot of nonsense and they do a lot of misdirection. But I know Tom Quinn, the line GM, a couple of days ago talked at his little digital press conference and said that he's had a few conversations about trading the number three pick. And it goes back, he said, as far as the combine. And he, I know he said, basically paraphrasing right now. So I'm going to do something. I think we have a pretty good idea of what that's going to be on Thursday, where we stand. I think you've got to be, if you're Bob Quinn, and like I said, Dennis, you know this, obviously, that this is the year that the edict has been put on by whether it's Martha or Sheila Fortham, uh, that if they don't make the playoffs, at least I think they've got to make the playoffs, it's over for Bob Quinn in year number five. So you've got to be reeling and dealing the best you can. And whether it's, like you said, getting 5-39, and 39, whether it's 12-19 and 19 for the Raiders or 12 in a second rounder or multiple thirds in a, in a lower first rounder, whatever it is, you are a team that is stupidly advised that you traded away Crowdering Day, that led Glasgow walk, obviously traded Darius Slay. You need help in many places, especially along the defense. Obviously on that front seven, in the secondary quarterback, uh, and you need a lot of different pieces if you want to improve yourself over the next couple of years. So if you're not on that phone nonstop trying to get the most picks you can when you are in such an advantageous position at number three, because we know Burrow's going number one, Ben, and yes. I said this from the beginning, that if, if the, the Bengals do not take Joe Burrow, the native son of Ohio, they should be contracted. And then you know that Chase Young is very likely going to go number two. So it's all about how bad does the team want to us? How concerned are they about the multiple injuries? Do they believe that, yes, it's a risk, but he's not Jamarcus Russell. He's not a guy that's going to flame out. He's a guy that's worth trading up, taking that third, you know, overall pick, and giving up some, some value picks for the future. That's my hope. That's my desire. But as you said, you would be as excited about Okuda if they stay in three. I'd be okay with it, but I feel like they could still get him or Simmons or Derek Brown, or many others if they move down. 
So for me, if I had to give you the top three scenarios, it's obviously drafting Isaiah Simmons at three, drafting Okuda at number uh, three. But my number one scenario that I want the most is trading down and finding those extra picks. That that's what it takes. The good teams use those to build those championship teams. Yeah, I mean it's it's like you're uh, you're back in the old days, like at a a real fancy diner or something, and you look down and you know you're able to get the the prime rib, but in, in, in along with it, you're able to get uh, a shrimp cocktail, cocktail appetizer, and they're bringing you out some uh, maybe some lobster tail with it, and you're like, oh yeah, prime rib's really good, but you could get all of these other things as well, so you're almost yep. disappointed if it just comes out and you get the real nice prime rib there we could go all night talking about what you had to say and i believe that most people interpret it like you do when you say that the lions have to get into the playoffs that's not what you know hamp and wood and and ford said they said (laughs) they said playoff contention but it's open for interpretation so that's all right like i said we'll sit around for three hours just talking about that and uh i want to get back to two i've been thinking about him nonstop here and and i am a truther and the more that i think about it here you know i've been listening to trent dilfer this week, and Trent Dilfer, the former quarterback, he is a friend of Tua. He is a trainer of Tua. He is an advocate of Tua. So, and in I just listened to him a couple of days ago saying that there's there are zero questions about his health, and if they had OTAs on regular schedule, that Tua would be ready to go. And yet, when they have a chance here to set up a a live com a, a live workout a live pro day for Tua where he could have gone through all the paces. He could have run. He could have made all of the throws. They didn't do that. They elected to come up with, um, you know, the one hype video of the seven-step drop with the shuffles, which looked pretty good for 10 seconds. And then they put out that hype video where they had some, you know, play-by-play, this is Tua and all these things. And it's like, all right, but we didn't get that workout. I know that Team Tua sat around and said, look, what is it going to benefit us from doing this? This uh, this live pro day uh, simulated digital, however you want to say it, where you can have teams right. look in there and pick it apart. You could move all the way up to two, maybe three. I think what was uh, said to him is that, look, you know, the Chargers and Dolphins are still there. You've got the Jaguars. You've got the Raiders. You're not falling out of the top ten if we just sit tight and stay where we're at. What it will mean is that three fa- franchises that are looked at I guess along with the Browns, as uh, the destinations that you don't want to go if you're in the NFL, Cincinnati, uh, Washington with Dan Snyder (laughs) and the Lions. So I I think it it seems to me very calculated. It's like, hey, you you fall back a little bit. You're not losing too much money. You're going to a a better situation, at least a perceived better situation uh, with, uh, with some of these other teams here. And I think that's what's going on. But for me, this is where I, it's it's um, I guess it is a pass for Bob Quinn because I wanted Tua, I wanted uh, the Lions to take him here. Everything that I I watch myself, the precision, the timing, the footwork. I mean, he is just a master at his craft, and he's he's a beauty uh, to behold when you watch him. And so I'm listening to all these scouts now talk about uh, his eyes, his knowledge, his anticipation. I'm like, yeah, that's what I see. That's why I wanted him, but I, I can't. In you know, just being honest, I, I can't gamble everything when I don't see him run. There are right. gigantic questions about that hip and everything else, so I do have to give him a pass on that. So, no, I am into the move down unless Chase Young is staring him in the face there at three, and then it'll be very easy. I guess you're not running the card up there. I guess you're hitting send 
on your, your Zoom or however you do it. Uh, you, you digitally, <laughs> yeah, send that digital card up there as fast as you can if Chase Young falls to three. Yeah, well, let me do two things for you here on Tua. Tua and twos, all right. I, yeah, Tua twos for you. And one, maybe it'll make you feel better, maybe it won't. But I'll start and kind of piggyback on what you said. Tua is incredible. And we saw what he did when they, you know, Bama a few years ago when we made that run to the national championship. You know, you, you talk about the passing ability. You talk about the eyes. You talk about the feet. You talk about the field vision. You talk about the throws he can make that very few can make. That is obviously in college and obviously you go to the pros. So he, he checks off all those boxes. But here's the thing that maybe this makes you feel better about the Lions. Probably not taking him or maybe it doesn't. But I, I saw this a couple days ago. And this was per the athletic bomb again. And I've seen this in, in multiple places, but this report was from him. He said that three teams have taken Tua off their board entirely due to concerns from scouts and execs about his ability to stay healthy. Here's a quote for you. The one personnel guy in the AFC. Tua, quote, a great college player, three, four, or five red flags staring us all in the face to make it a hard risk to pick him. So it's not like we know this, that this is a great quarterback. We know that he can end up being like Andrew Locke or Patty Mahomes and be a transcendent signal caller for whatever that team, that stat sack team, or maybe even a good team, to get them lowered on the trough like the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers. You know, the takes to it. But this is a guy that is such a, I don't want to say device of like that Stafford is, but he's such a teetering board because he's got all the talent in the world but he's got multiple red flags, multiple injuries. So let's say Dennis, Bob Quinn grows a pair in some people's eyes. Says, you know what? We love Okuda. We love Sims. We're taking Tua. We don't want to let anyone know he's our guy. He's going to study under Stafford like Mahomes did under Alex Smith, like Rodgers did under Brett Favre, like Lamar Jackson did under Flacco. And that's the, the formula that's worked and won multiple Super Bowls in the last 10, 15 years with quarterbacks in that way. Let's say they do that. And let's say two years later, the Lions trade Stafford and Tua is out of the league. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that is a huge concern. If you're a three, you still have your franchise quarterback, kind of for a lot of money in Matthew Stafford. You're, you're this edict to, to basically win now. That's why it makes no sense to the Lions to me. But it seems like other teams, Dennis, are starting to, you know, whether it's true or false information, through the GM ether board right now, pre-draft, they're concerned. That's why, to me, I just don't see any way the line taken. Well, here's a quote from an NFC North general manager. Quote, our asses are on the line. We're not <laughs> drafting a quarterback with hip and multiple ankle surgeries and a risk, yeah. especially when we have a quarterback with multiple broken backs in consecutive seasons. End quote. So, yeah, you know, I, I think we all know that, that the Lions are not going to just jump in there without being, uh, especially now, that they weren't able <laughs> right. to get that, that pro day. And that's why there is the idea here that the Lions might be trapped, that they might be boxed in at three because the Dolphins know they're not going to pick them and the Chargers know that they're not going to pick them so they can just let these quarterbacks come to them. Now, I don't believe that the Lions are trapped because the one thing, if you're the Chargers or the Dolphins, you like one of those guys, Herbert or Tua, more than the other guy. You're not just sitting there and saying, "Yeah, well, we'll just take the other guy. 
your your guys, whether you have twenty scouts or whether you have thirty scouts, they right. have gone in there, and you at the end like one of these guys more. And when you do that, that's when you say, "Hey, let's just make a deal here. Let's let's go up there. If you're the Dolphins, let's go five and thirty nine. I I know that uh, they could get five and twenty six. To me, that would be the best uh, case for." The Lions there. But this is another thing that you and I, that's the uh, exciting part. You know, the one thing about Bob Quinn, you know, he's telling everybody Friday, come on up. We're open for business. Let's go. (laughs) You know, Dave Gettleman saying the same thing. But he did say that he wants to get it done before Thursday night, before he is on the phone there. Right. That's the one intriguing part here is if the Dolphins are calling right now and saying, all right, Bob, you know what? Here, here's five and thirty nine. Let's do it now. Is Bob like, well, you know, let let's wait another day, or let's is let's he, we'll... yeah, is, he, is he gonna go? Oh, Kevin Costner draft day. I want three first rounds and a bag of chips. Yeah, I would like to know how the negotiations are going. I, I think the phone is ringing, but you know, Bob's saying he wants to get it done before Thursday night. But there's nothing, whether it's negotiations for contracts or whatever else, or draft picks, nothing gets that going like the being on the clock. And, you know, Bob Quinn can say whatever he wants, but if the Dolphins are calling tonight, you know, and they're only offering, uh, you know, five and maybe a third rounder or a second rounder next year, Bob Quinn might be hanging up on him. Yeah. I mean, I think, you, listen, I am hoping he gets hope in, this, in the middle of this, you know, crazy pandemic that we all are trying our best to get through, be there for each other and have hope. And, you know, since you and I are two guys like that that always always live our lives in the uh, the area of hope. That, that we're going to get shocked in a good way. Not a TJ Hawkinson Steve Tabor way, uh, but a good way on Thursday night. And the Lions are able to find a way to trade down, get the, I mean, the 5 and 18 for the Sins that I've always dreamed about is probably very unlikely. You've always kept me honest on that. But is it a, a 5 and 39? Is it a 12 and 19 for the Raiders? Is it something else that we don't know about? Uh, first runner next year from another team, as well as their first runner this year. We'll see about that. I'm hoping that's what happens. But this is the good news, defense. The good news is that you've got a ridiculous cornerback prospect. Yes, he's a Buckeye. in Jeffrey Okuda. And you go back and you look at the guys that have been taken in the top five um, in recent years, Patrick Peterson. You know, go back to Terrence Newman and some others, Jalen Ramsey. The guys that have been taken at quarterback in the top five in the last 18 years have all been really damn good. So you've got him there if you stay at three. And then, you know, you and I have talked many times about the beast, the hybrid Isaiah Simmons from Clemson that can play multiple positions. You've got two really good options if you stay at three. And I know some think Derrick Brown's still alive at three. I don't think so. Uh, obviously, the, the uh, lineman from, from Auburn is great. But I just feel like there's a chance they find a way to deal. You mentioned, I love, I love how you said that quote from Anonymous NFCGF. We've got to win now. But they do. And if Quinn wants to find a way to keep his job. Part of that is making good moves and making moves that are surprising. And, you know, when the Tigers were able to get rid of Prince Fielder, you know, different shots, the Blake Griffin trade for the Clippers, not for the Pistons. You've got to find a way to make a, you know, just a buzzy move that improves your team. Hopefully that's what can happen, Dennis, on Thursday to the Lions in this first ever virtual draft during a, you know, a pandemic. I, I think there's a chance. But if I had to put a percentage on it, I know you hate when I do my canoe scale. So let's do a straight percentage. I would say it's 25%. The Lions are able to make the move and trade down. Wow, that's it? I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a little bit higher. I hope so, but I think yeah. 
I think that's where we're at right now. I think it's a little bit above 50% that they move down. Teams just get too itchy, uh, but uh, sure. not twitchy, itchy. Uh, <laughs> you know, not to dwell on the negative, but you mentioned the, the shocker with, with Hawkinson and, and Tavai last year. What yeah. about, you know, this, uh, this past weekend here we had Leonard Fournette that the Jags are shopping him, that he's available for trade, and that, uh, you know, the Lions could have on Johnson and, and Leonard Fournette, a thumper and a little, you know, thunder and lightning or whatever else. Sure. What about – and the Lions have the second most amount of, of cap room here now that, that things have settled here before the draft. So they have the money for Fournette to bring him in. What about a move down to nine – you get Fournette, maybe a corner, and you know you're getting a lot of picks there from the Jags, but you're going all the way back to nine, and then that's where Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw, the other defensive tackle out of South Carolina, come into play. Is that a Hawkinson type shocker where you're like, oh no? <laughs> well, yeah. I, oh, like you should see. You, you did many shows on this after uh, the pick. And, and, and at my instant reaction, I was watching the draft with my good friend Marlon. And we're like, oh, no, what? Because I really thought Josh Allen could still possibly, you know, miraculously fall down the lines uh, at eight and ten. And he went obviously to pick before. But yeah, that would, as far it would be an oh, no, like Hawkinson. And let's, let's be honest about Leonard Fournette. Yes, he's been injury prone, but he's 25. And this is a guy, six feet, 228, that can score a ton of touchdowns. Obviously, you know, very talented kid. I, I would, it's not the craziest thought this, but just, and by the way, another guy to trade down. I love AJ Epinesa. I don't know about taking him at number nine. He had the, uh, the edge rusher from uh, Iowa. He'd be probably someone more of the team, but I, that's another guy you trade down and get a later first round pick that I've looked at because you need help on the edge. But I mean, Leonard Fournette is very interesting. And you mentioned a very important point there. The Lions have some of the most cap money in the NFL right now. So you've got maneuverability and you can look at a, a thunder and lightning, you know, Ronnie Dane, Tiki Barber type thing with Fournette and carry on Johnson. I mean, I've looked, you know, Dennis, you know this about how I feel about some of the running backs in this upcoming draft. I look at a guy like Zach Moss or, a, you know, Benjamin or a P Ryan from Florida later on in the draft that could be that maybe thunder and lightning with carry on Johnson. But Leonard Fournette is an all pro. Leonard Fournette is a proven commodity. And if the Lions can, you know, replace Glasgow, in the highest fashion, and they've got a decent offensive line and make it better. Fournette can really do well behind that and really help Stafford. But obviously, when he's got a healthy running back, he's a totally different quarterback. So it's interesting. That would be a shocker in a not nearly as bad way as T.J. Hawkinson was, but it's, it's one that is very, I think, on the lower end of happening right now in the line. Yeah, you know what? If he if he caught the ball, I I, I have the the feeling where I think about uh, Daryl Bevel, the Lions' offensive coordinator, and how much he loves to run the football, and how much that uh, the right tackle that they brought in is more of a road grader than a than a pass blocker. It right. seems like that you know a guy like Fournette that you know Bevel would be like, let's go. But I also think about if you're moving back and you're getting five and thirty nine, so then you have the 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 third choice in the second round. And then you're also sitting there at, uh, at 39. And then you just start taking a look. You mentioned some of those running backs, you know, one of these guys are going to go in the first round, whether it's uh, a sure. DeAndre Swift from Georgia, or, uh, Georgia, or Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, or uh, Edward Zolaire could even go in there. Or JK Dobbins, even two of those guys could go, but also, you know, 
one of those guys might just go, and you you could be looking at. Let's just say it's Swift. You could be looking at uh, uh, Taylor or Edwards or Lair or Dobbins there. And yeah. do you like do you like those three guys, especially when you're thinking about the pass catching ability of Edwards, Alaire, and Dobbins? Jonathan Taylor doesn't catch the ball at all, but he's a great running back. Uh, do you want? And but he's he's had a lot of mileage at Wisconsin. Do you like a a rookie in Taylor? more than a Leonard Fournette when you're thinking about the price tag, early second rounder Fournette over $4 million. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a running back rich draft. There's about five or six of them that you're going to look at in the first and second round. And one or two of those guys are going to fall into the third rounder. I, I just think with that $4 million price tag that you're just going to back off, going to back off of Fournette and look for those rookies. Yeah, 15, you you know the biggest, you know, you know, bug and boo in the NFL and what's in the last 10, 15 years is overpaying for running backs. And, you, you know, the key is getting one of those guys that, I don't want to say comes out of nowhere, but you mentioned, I call him C-E-H, Clyde Edwards Lair, who I love. A little short, 5'7", but as he got the weight, obviously great 40 time, and he was incredible at LSU. He do everything, catch on the backfield, run down the middle, all that stuff. But you you also mentioned a couple other guys that, and we didn't even bring up Cam Akers from Florida State, who's another no. guy that could go higher. But Dobbins, of those guys you mentioned, Dobbins is the guy for me. I mean, I think he's not going to be a first-round pick. He's probably going to be second or third as far as the rounds go. But that's the guy that if, if he's out there for a value pick, let's say you get an extra pick in this draft uh, from trading down for number three, and you get a second-rounder, 39, whatever it is, that's the guy I've been on from the beginning. But I think when the Lions would obviously have to wait later down the trough. That's why I like Zach Moss from Utah. I love uh, uh, P. Ryan from Florida. And I really think, as Michigan State fans know, you know, Benjamin's pretty damn good from Arizona State. He's like a third to fifth round projected guy. Uh, so you've got to be so careful overpaying for veteran running backs. And now it's funny we say this, Dennis. He's like, Leonard Fournette's 25. He's not, he's not 31. He's not like even Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush came to Detroit when he was a little older. And Bush was, was great here. So he's not that old, but you don't want to overpay for a running back because they break down so much. So I think for the Lions, when it comes to a running back, the best solution this year is drafting one later down, you know, the, the rounds here in, in the draft and not worrying about overpaying for a guy like Fournette as much as he can do great things for you. I, I, if the Lions did that and, and found a way to get Fournette and they've got the money to do it, I'm not going to go crazy. But I think the, the best solution these days with running backs, is not paying much for him, getting him in the draft, and then developing them. He had a, a good offensive line. So that's what I think is the best solution. But if there's a guy not necessarily jumping off four like he did with Carryon Johnson, but a guy that maybe is still there, that you've got to snag in the second round instead of taking an offensive lineman or a, a front seven player, it, it's J.K. Dobbins. Because he is a Michigan fan that, as we know, he destroyed the Wolverines. He's an incredible specimen, and I, I well, even though he's a Buckeye, I have obviously really liked him from the beginning. Yeah, maybe two Buckeyes, uh, Okuda and J.K. Dobbins. There you go. Oh, That'll be exciting. Like to throw up. We talked about some of the, the shocking, maybe uh, worst-case scenarios here. Some of the best, if, if the Lions go back to five and Jeff Okuda or Isaiah Slimmons, right. Simmons uh, <laughs> is sitting there. Both of those guys right there, they both look – Bulletproof. Uh, you know, I've heard Okuda yep. being described as twitched up. Uh, the next Jalen Ramsey or Marshawn Lattimore, uh, there doesn't seem to be any holes in his game. And the one thing about him is he does exactly 
what Matt Patricia wants from his corners. He is a press coverage, right in your face, corner. I mean, he fits everything for the Lions. That's why uh, he is the hottest name. He's the perfect fit for them. But if they can get him at five. And then Slimmons, Simmons, he, to me, the positionless guy played five spots at Clemson, yep. corner, safety, linebacker. I don't know if it was slot corner or defensive end when he said uh, you know, the other two. Those are three spots that he played. But you know what? He reminds me of a Kelvin Johnson, but a uh, on defense. You know, Kelvin sure. measured at 6'5", 237, and ran a 4.35, which is, you know, one of the craziest uh, combine workouts ever, any, anywhere, anytime. But Simmons, 6'4", 238, ran a 4.39. I mean, you are – sometimes you just look at a guy and you say – this is a can't miss uh, player. Either of those guys, if they fall back to five, and and if either of those uh, uh, players are selected, I'll give a thumbs up uh, to Quinn and the boys. Yeah, you. Know, by the way, it's so funny. You guys have so many different radio shows. I, I actually had my finger up a few times while we've been doing this. Like our singles leader, we took the studio. This is fantastic. It's like we're back to our old tricks. But one of my favorite uh, draft sites is Walter Football. They've been doing it for years. They do a great job. And, I think if you're a Simmons guy or a Slimmons guy, you'll love this. They actually, in their latest mock draft, I believe it came out yesterday, have the Lions trading with the Chargers down to the six, drafting Simmons, but also Kuda would still be on the board in this particular mock draft, as would Derrick Brown, and they would be able to pick up, you know, an extra first-round pick and a second-round pick. So uh, let's, let's hope that we are shocked in a good way, Dennis, because you mentioned Simmons. This guy flew around the field. Physical presence, you, you said it, he can play anything. Linebacker, safety, literally anything on defense. And he really put on a show at the uh, NFL Combine. He, if, Like I said, if it's him or Okuda and the Lions stay in three, I'm not going to jump off a bridge. I, I probably wouldn't jump off one anyway because I want to stay alive because I want to be with you, Dennis. I would but, jump off if they took Derek Brown <laughs> at three. Well, yes. Sure, they took Derek Brown or Kristen Wirth. I jump off. Oh yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm taking, I'm, I'm pushing you off. If they take, if they take Christian Wirth, <laughs> you would never push anyone off. It's time. But yeah, if they take Simmons or Okuda, I'll be happy. But I won't be fully happy unless they're able to find a way to trade with the Chargers, the Saints, the Raiders, whoever. Maybe a random team, Tennessee, someone just pops up there, um, and and get down and be able to still get a Simmons. Still get an Okuda and get the extra value picks to continue to build the running backs, the safeties, the old linemen, etc. So, but you mentioned you, you could have encapsulated Simmons any better. He is much like Okuda is a lockdown drag out, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Daryl Revis, you know, just lockdown corner. Isaiah Simmons is a beast. He is a guy that can take over a defense and just energize it to get it to the next level. And we know the Lions have needed that. Life, no pass rush last year. No kind of defensive identity. A coach that seems in that Patricia to draw the ire of some of his defensive players, including guys like Darius Slay, who he knocked and said, hey, you're not all pro. Uh, and obviously Darius Slay was traded. So you look at a guy like Simmons or Okuda, they can be transformative players. Here's the hope in the line, find a way to trade down and still get one of those two guys. Here, here. We don't want anybody jumping off any bridges or raising yeah, anybody's no ire, like you said. But, Dan, we could talk about the draft all week, and hopefully we'll get together this week and, and do some 
uh, some draft uh, stuff, whether it's right here at another podcast or on the task force on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I, I love it there. So let's do it. We also wanted to get to here about uh, Michael Jordan and his documentary, The Last Dance, this 10-part series. It's the 97-98 season. So that for the Bulls would have been their sixth title in eight years, the, yep. the two that Jordan took off there in the middle. And, you know, we're both, uh, you know, here we are. We're Piston fans. Uh, we're from Michigan here. So a lot of it is going to be talk when we talk about it, it's going to be how we felt as Piston fans. So, I mean, how do you feel? You got this, this documentary documentary with his airness uh, with the goat and MJ and everything else. <laughs> what, what are your, some of your thoughts when you think about uh, MJ and, and, uh, you know, from a Piston standpoint? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think it's fascinating. I'm, I'm very excited to see this documentary because, you know, I saw Michael Jordan on, on Good Morning America with Rob Roberts a couple of days ago. And even though I, I don't, I, I don't really use the word hate because I'm not a very, I'm not a hateful person, but I, I could stand him, but I always respected the hell out of him. And I was lucky as a kid, my, my dad, the great doc, uh, he had season tickets. So we used to go to all those games in the playoffs. 89-90, all the different Jordan Bolt series, regular season games. And, he, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Dennis, you know this, uh, he's a GOAT, always has been, always will be. I know it's not fair to some to say, always will be, but I love how Bill Edbear, of course, towing the company line, the original bad boy in the horn, uh, last week uh, came out and said that, you know, the GOAT is LeBron James, not Michael Jordan. And, you know, for kind of throwing that shot across the mouth, uh, ahead of this last dance series, which, by the way, I, I can't wait to see. They moved it up because of the pandemic. It's great. Uh, and I know it debuts on Sunday night, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. But, but Jordan is the greatest ever. And you mentioned that, you know, how this last dance, uh, which is also a great song, and a movie about the, the Bob Dylan's backup band, the band, The Last, uh, last Waltz. Um, I'm more of a Let's that. Dance from David Bowie, but I, I hear oh, you. Let's Dance. That's a great song. Just you and I, we got to do a full music podcast. We can have for five hours. I'm in. But so, uh, and by the way, just not getting off topic here, but I got to mention this. Uh, I don't know how much of you got to see the One World Together at Home that was on Saturday night with Eddie Vedder doing River Cross and the Stones doing, you know, you can't get what you want. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. You know, so, uh, just awesome, awesome, awesome. But that, that last dance from the 97-98 season, that six title, the iconic moment, of Jordan hitting that shot over Byron Russell. The Jazz could never get past the, the Bulls or never win that title with the loaded Stockton, and that shot was a dagger. He, he never lost the finals, Dennis. He obviously left to go to play baseball, and I, I don't have this on – this is not from a limo driver, but I've got pretty good authority that he left basketball because his family got out of control and needed to take a step away. David sort of was involved. I mean, that's just what I've heard for years. I'll stand behind that, but it's not like I'm documented. But if Jordan stayed in the NBA, they probably would have won nine straight titles. And yes, Scotty Pippen was a part of that. And yes, Wennington was a part of it. And Paxton and all these other guys. But Jordan was such a competitor. Was you just you loved to hate him or dislike him, if you will, especially as a Pistons fan. The whole Jordan Rules thing, uh, you know, the Chuck Daly books. He was just so phenomenal to watch in person because you knew. If you beat him, you were playing at the highest level. And you knew if you could beat him, you were losing to the greatest ever. So to be able to watch him in person, I covered him for a very few years in the beginning of my career before he retired. I was doing the Wizards at that point. And he's the, he's the GOAT. 
And I know that there could be other opportunities down the road for others to take that mantle over. Some believe it's LeBron. Some believe it's Kobe. But to me, Jordan's the GOAT, always will be. The guy never lost the finals. He never was scared to take a shot. He was cut from his high school team and went to be the greatest ever. He's just one of the finest examples of what a athlete that takes over a sport and makes it a global brand is all about. Yeah, you know what? If you work backwards, if you're a Pistons fan, they held off LeBron to, you know, they finally couldn't there in those consecutive Eastern Conference finals, right. and then LeBron took over. And then if you go back, whether it was, uh, you know, going up against uh, Magic and Kareem in that first final, uh, Bird, and then the Pistons did hold off Jordan as long as they could. You know, they, they, they beat him for three years in a row there. I was, uh, you know, looking at it, the 88, 89, and 90 Pistons, all three years of those playoffs, they held off Jordan until they finally uh, got swept in 91 yep. where they just walked off the floor there. But, man, uh, you when you think about the Pistons and then you, everybody's going to be talking about Jordan, you know, I go back to Isaiah Thomas when they, uh, they, they iced him out of the All-Star game, and Isaiah was so cutthroat. Some of the younger listeners might not know this, but, man, uh, Joe Dumars, there was a, a famous cover on SI where, where Joe D's like holding down a little miniature Jordan. They're saying nobody can stop him, but Joe D comes the closest. Jordan was so ticked off at that. But Isaiah, he didn't want Joe Dumars or any of the other Pistons saying anything nice or fraternizing with the enemy or, you know, piling yep. up with Jordan. It was like cutthroat. We are not doing that. And then Jordan came back and Isaiah and had him off that original dream team. Of course, he should have been there. So it all played into that. And, you know, I, I, when you just think about the Pistons and how they, they just kept going and going against the Lakers, then they lost, and it was the Celtics and it, before that. And then finally holding off Jordan. It just, if you're a basketball fan, and, and, and you mentioned, like, you know, people hated him here in Detroit, it was a it was a good reminder for me, a, a young Dennis, is that like I like Jordan when he was a freshman at Carolina in '82 and hit the game winning shot against yep. George Georgetown, and uh, I liked him when he went to the Bulls, and you know he was an instant star. But I always wanted the Pistons to win, but I would hear in town like, oh, Jordan's a crybaby. And towards the end, yeah, I mean, he was a crybaby. He gets all the calls. You know, he did get all the calls, all of those things. But it always felt like you're not really a, truly a basketball fan or you can't really appreciate sports if you let the hatred, even if you're a big fan of your team, you know, cloud where you can't enjoy watching what we knew was just this, uh, you know, a transcend, transcendent player when you're watching him. And that always rubbed me the wrong way where I would just listen to a sports right. talk radio in town. It was like, who cares? What kind of moves he put on? Look at the foul <laughs> discrepancy. This guy's a joke. That's all he does is cry. And I know that's just like fandom and that's the way it goes there. But it was a, it was an eye opener for me. It was like, I didn't like Joe Montana on the 49ers. I hated him. I was a cowboy and a lion fan growing up in Montana you know, hit Dwight Clark, beat the Cowboys. I hated that. But you know what? I wanted to watch Joe Montana in every game that he played because I knew what I was watching was just absolute greatness. And it's just one of those things. I'll, I'll go back. I'll love it. I'll love this thing. Uh, I want to see how much I, I know. I know this in town here, whatever they do with however they portray the Pistons, if it comes it out, like the Pistons will be an afterthought. In in uh, you know the ninety seven ninety eight season, which is the the one that they're talking about here, but this is the conversation that's going to be uh, taking place all week long. 
No, 100% true. You could not have encapsulated that any better. That if you, uh, you brought up my guy, Montana, who is my favorite non-Lions player. I, I loved him as a kid and, and could never have had any any hate in my bones for him, even though he wasn't a Detroit Lion. But with Jordan, it goes back to what I, I said when we first started talking about this, that yes, that I dislike him, that he's driving crazy, that I want the Pistons to beat him every single time. You mentioned when they walked off the court uh, in 91, getting swept by the Bulls, did shake their hands. That, to me, that was like the end. You see, for me, my first love in sports, Lions and Wolverines, and obviously my favorite team, always. But I fell in love with sports with the bad boys. I was a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. So I mentioned going to my dad to these games, seeing Jordan in person, going to the Lakers finals games, but, you know, the Blazers finals games, the, the mini dome at the Silver Dome, my favorite all-time stadium, and, and all those great moments. But when it came to Jordan, yes, I, of course, wanted the Pistons to beat him, and the Bulls every time. But when he wasn't playing the Pistons, I was in awe of him. And when he was playing, you know, the Charles Barkley Suns, when he was playing the, uh, you know, the Magic Johnson Lakers, that famous finals, that it was a great Genesis thing, a Genesis game, uh, Bulls-Lakers uh, 91 in, in the finals that year, I couldn't get it up. And I, I, I don't want to say I was like a, a full-throating fan, like cheering for the guy, because he played for the Bulls, but he was so brilliant to watch you never you knew they were never out of a game the flu game when he had was 50 something points whatever it was the guy was just the greatest winner to me in the history of basketball and that's with all due respect to guys like kareem and bill russell and the big o oscar robertson and so many others and, and i love lebron and physically lebron is a bigger and better specimen than michael jordan but as far as the player goes as far as that kobe bryant old you know uh, you know uh the late great Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Wow. Black mama mentality. He had all that and then some. And to go 6-0 in the finals, to do all the things he did in taking the NBA from what obviously Larry Bird and Magic Johnson did. They took it on a tape delay. Jordan turned the NBA into a global brand. Whether it was the, you know, the Nike commercials, whether it was, you know, just do it. All the things that Jordan did. He took the NBA from a pretty reasonable brand, you know, league and property to a worldwide brand. And if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, there's no, you know, Luka Doncic. There's no Dirk Nowitzki. There's no Yao Ming. There's no Steph Marbier playing in China. He created this global one with Nike, who did a great marketing campaign. Uh, you know, he helped that happen. And he, to me, was the first athlete in any sport that took a league truly international, aside from like Pele and some soccer players, and soccer is the biggest sport in the world out here in America. So I have the utmost respect, undying respect for Michael Jordan. He definitely has driven me nuts throughout my life and time, especially in that sweep of the Pistons. But to be able to see this final, you know, jog for him, the final title in 97, 98, and the behind-the-scenes footage, because let's be honest, Dennis, Jordan has definitely, he's been involved in basketball. You know, obviously the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, all the stuff that he's done in recent years. But he hasn't really been first and front and center. And I think this is going to be interesting to see some of the stuff we maybe did see back in the late 90s and be able to hear from Michael, who doesn't come out and talk that much. He's not, you know, like uh, an out there rah-rah guy like Kobe was post-career or Charles Barkley or others. He's kind of been behind the scenes. This is the greatest ever, though. So to be able to watch this 10-part series, I can't wait, my friend. Yeah, we'll see if we see any crying Jordan memes or if we have yeah. him saying, uh, you know, the ceilings, the roof. Guy, anytime he talks, I did see him. You mentioned, you know, Kobe. He was there 
at his memorial yep. and said a few things and, uh, you know, had everybody tearing up. But, yeah, how about his impact? Like, here he is, Jumpman at Michigan. Who would have ever thought of that if we were sitting around 10 years ago? I got one last thing. You know, you started talking about his commercial proudest and uh, and uh, I, I just remember the early 2000s, I just saw, I was reading a story about him and they, they had the commercial where he was retired, but they showed like young players going through all of his famous moves, like the one against the Lakers where he was going to dunk and they brought it down. Or you mentioned yep. that, that Russell move and they got like a young kid doing it. And then like Jordan's there standing at the end. He's like, your move. And it's just like, wow, man, that was, that was a great commercial. It really was. <laughs> that was, it, that it was. was awesome. It was. Well, Dan, this uh, has been an awesome podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll do it again and uh, all the best to you. And I predict that uh, the task force, when I, I type it in on YouTube, the task force. I always get a bunch of Donald Trump on news conferences. But if I type in the task force, Dan Leach, then there it is right there. So hey, that's all the matter. Dennis, I'll tell you this. I, I spend this many times. Uh, and I can't ever say it enough. Um, I've had no better friend or professional partner in my broadcasting career than you. And I know that down the road that you and I will be back together again in some way. I just, I have, I have that feeling in my heart. And I just can't tell you enough how much you mean to me, my friend. Well, thanks, buddy boy. Uh, I, uh, I'm i right there with you. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Heck yeah, my friend. All right. Take care, Dan. Uh, it is draft week, and you can call it whatever you want. But I will uh, – you call it like an emergency podcast, special podcast. But I, I plan to, to jump in uh, this week leading up to Thursday and Thursday night and be real draft uh, heavy here. Just continue to uh, to go after it, looking for uh, and looking forward to the draft coming up on Thursday. All right, thanks for tuning in, uh, everybody. Uh, whether you're a day one here or day two, I've only done two, so you're one of the two, and uh, I appreciate you. Until the next time, that's it. Good afternoon here, Dennis Fithian at Sports ninety seven.